We're going to be in John 9 this morning, most of the the lesson. Um, I want to ask you a question, though, first. Can anybody explain creation to me? Is that a no? Can you, yeah, could you, could you fully explain how God says, let there be light and that there was light? Did you have your hand up, John? Okay. There was nothing, and then all of a sudden there was everything. Can you explain that to me, though? I mean, yeah, when and it comes right down to it, I can't explain creation completely. And I don't think anybody can. God could explain it. I'm not sure I'd understand it. But, you know, Genesis tells us that this happens. In fact, in John 1, the very first chapter of John, I I find that, if I go over to John 1 really quickly, I find it very interesting, the language John uses to describe Jesus himself and does connect him with the act of creation because in Genesis... We see the Spirit moving over the waters. We see God working. Here, John gives us a glimpse of Jesus working in creation. Read with me from the beginning of that chapter. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Which, right off the bat, tells you eternity is is in the picture here. Whoever this Word is, he has been around with God since God was around, which was always. Which is another thing I can't explain. How has God always existed and never not existed? Think about that one for a while. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That, that sentence there, all things came into being, that part of that sentence there, that, that means that Jesus was an essential part of this creation story we see in Genesis. That God may have said, let there be light, but the act of having this being done, it comes through him. It's, it's interesting how John connects this one who is, he's, he's showing us this Jesus Christ, this, this son of God. And he connects us to something way back in Genesis, but I can't explain Genesis completely. If, if somebody came up to me and, and said, I need creation explained absolutely so that I can grasp everything about it, I'm going to have to say, I can't do that. But can we say, I can't do that and still believe that God did that? Yeah. I don't have to believe, I don't have to understand absolutely everything to believe in something. Because if I have to believe, or if I have to understand absolutely everything about creation, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out creation. I'm not going to get past creation. But God has set it up that I don't have to understand everything to believe in something. But it also doesn't mean that I have to be an ignorant person or someone who just says, well, I, I just believe. No, God has given me sufficient reason to believe. But he hasn't explained absolutely everything to me. And I think I see that in John chapter 9, too. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. And that's where John 9 comes in here. Verse 1, what does it say? As he, as he passed by. <clears throat> he saw a man blind from birth. I want to take a second here and, and, 
and understand where Jesus is coming from in chapter 8. What's happening there, there at the end of chapter 8? They're picking up stones, right? And they're getting ready to stone him. And Jesus escapes that. He hid himself, went out of the temple. Uh, so uh, right off the bat, I noticed that Jesus, as he's getting away from these people who want to stone him, is still on the lookout for things to do. He's not concerned enough with him, himself to say, i got to get away, and doesn't see this man blind from birth. And I wonder how many people walk by that man every day and don't see him. This guy has been blind from birth. The only thing he can do is beg. So he's sitting out there probably begging and, and, and relying on the kindness of strangers here. And like the people sometimes on the side of our roads or maybe billboards you see every day, eventually you don't see them anymore. They're just there. This guy here is probably at this point just there. People walk by him every day. They know he's going to be there. They don't even look for him anymore. So this guy who is blind is, is probably literally uh, uh, blind from everybody else. Everybody else is walking around blind as well. They don't see him. He doesn't see. And Jesus is the only one who walks out there and sees this man. Even when Jesus is getting away from people who are about to stone him, he still sees this guy. And when he sees him, what happens? His disciples say, what's, what's going on? Who sinned? Him? His parents? What, what, what's going on? How, how did this happen here? There's, there's a bit of blindness here too, on the part of the disciples' part. They don't see clearly. They're wondering, why is this happening? And of course, what is that, as soon as you hear that question, what does that remind you of in the Bible? Does anybody, does that make anybody remember anything else in the Bible? Any other stories of guys saying, hey, what, what happened? Why are you being uh, punished like this? You must have done something. Job. Job. Yeah. That jumps into my mind when I, when I hear that question because that is that's a common train of thought back then. That was, that was it. You must have done something to deserve that. God is punishing you. There, there's a reason that this is happening. They, the disciples look at him and they see fault. They see sin. Jesus looks at him and he sees what? What does Jesus see when he sees him? What do you think he sees? Anybody? A man in need? Okay, a man in need. Yeah, a man in need and an opportunity to glorify God here. An opportunity that, that is right there in front of everybody to glorify God. Jesus sees this opportunity and this guy's setback is really being a set. Up for God. God is setting Himself up here to be glorified, and and it and it's and it, it kind of reminds me of how I view things in my life. Sometimes my setbacks are really setups for God, but I view them as setbacks. I don't see them. I don't see the real purpose of things happening in my life because my my vision is so short sighted, so linear that all I can see sometimes is the hand in front of my face. Jesus sees beyond that. He sees this man who is who is ready to be used for God's glory here. And he does that exactly. In verse 3, Jesus reassures them, it's, it's not sin, it's not that, it's not his parents, but God's going to be glorified here. The works of God are going to be displayed in him. It's really interesting how Jesus challenges the current structure of the time. And I think there's a lot of challenging in this this one chapter here of the religious ideas, the religious train of thought back then. 
How we look at people, yes, and, and how the Pharisees were looking at God and how the people themselves were looking at God, how his disciples look at God. And he's about to open their eyes, if they want them to be open, he's about to open their eyes a, a little bit more and show them how God works in this world, what his kingdom's going to look like, and what God wants from these people. Look at verse 6. After he said, you know, it's not them, it's that God might be glorified. We have to work as long as it's, it's daylight. And while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. <clears throat> Verse 6, when he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, applied it to the, to the man's eyes. That is just disgusting. Did anybody's mom ever spit or lick or yeah, yeah, lick and do the hair thing? And smudge off the cheek. Yeah, smudge off. Let me, let me lick my finger before I apply it to your face. Even that is disgusting to me. I don't care if I have a smudge on my face. Do not lick your finger and come at me. Still, she can keep her spit to herself. I'll go to the bathroom and wash it off. Just tell me it's there. I'll take care of it. That's kind of gross, but... When you, when you read that, it's kind of kind of disgusting, spitting in clay, putting it on the man's eyes. But it's really, it was a common thing back then. It was a common treatment for uh, for blindness. And it, I often wonder, because Jesus doesn't need to use clay and spit. Remember when he healed the leper? What did he do? Touched him. And does Jesus even need to touch a leper to heal it? He could raise people from the dead over the distance. He could, he could do anything he wants, really. Why does he do anything like this? Does anybody have any thoughts on why he would use mud and spit? Art? Okay. Familiarity? Maybe it communicated to them and to people around him communicates healing because it's a common practice or common thing. Okay, maybe it communicated healing. Anybody else? Symbolic of transfer. Symbolic of transfer? Oh, to the spit and putting it on his eyes? Okay, symbolic of, of transferring that power that heals him? Okay. Okay, the blind man would understand it, maybe. Yes. Assuming he understood the yeah, which if it's common practice, maybe maybe he would he'd understand this man's trying to heal me or is going to heal me. Okay. Anybody else? It requires being washed off. Okay, so it requires him to to have an active participation in his in his healing. Okay. Did you have your hand up there? Exercising his faith. Okay. Because he says what to the man? Go wash it off. All right. So, yeah, he could have just said, what are you, what are you doing? This ain't going to work. I've heard about it before. I read it in the last journal. It doesn't, oh, no, he couldn't read it. But, but anyway. Anyway, yeah, maybe, maybe it was an exercise of, of faith here. You, do you, you want to participate in this with me? Do you want to, want to go this route with me? Do you believe Right. Do you believe that the, what I say to, for you to do is going to actually give you sight? That's a good point. Anybody else? He's the Lord. He can do anything that he chooses to do. Yes, that's true. 
That's always the default answer, isn't it? He's God. He's, he's, if he wants to do it that way, let him do it that way. And that, yeah. And that's true. I mean, he wants to do it this way, let him do it this way. Okay. The opposite of what should have worked. Okay. No, spitting is bad on people. Even spitting and making mud and putting mud in the eye was not a common practice. It was contrary to what should have worked. Well, I, I, I read the opposite. I read that it was common practice. Well, not in the eye. Well, no, in, on, on. And, and mine says on. I don't know if yours says in. Mine says on. So I was assuming it was just on the eye, not in the eyeball. But I could be wrong about the in, on there. Well, Yeah, bomb, yeah. Well, I, the, the writers that, that I read said that there was Roman writers and even Jewish rabbis who said that it was common practice for that kind of thing to be put on the eyes. Yeah, for the, I don't know why. And I don't know who, who thought it would heal and why. I don't know. But whatever, for whatever reason, I think, I think he did it for partially the, the faith thing, but I also think he did it too because that kind of thing, doing that... Not only healing on the Sabbath, but he is, he's doing work here because spitting and making clay on the Sabbath was even wrong. So I think Jesus is, is doing a whole bunch of things here. He's challenging the establishment of what is, quote-unquote, the right way to do things and the right, right way to get things done religiously. He's going to challenge their, them and the healing. He's going to challenge them on how he did it. And he's trying to open, I think he's trying to open up the disciples' eyes, this guy's eyes, and the religious leader's eyes that you, you think you know what God wants. You think you know how God wants you to act, but you don't have a clue what God really wants from you. You don't have a clue that, that spitting in the ground and making some, some, some clay mixture is, is not a violation of the Sabbath. To heal is not a violation of the Sabbath. To have mercy is not a violation of the Sabbath. He's going to show the Pharisees that, I think. In verse 7, he says, like, like Darren and, and Laura Lamb were saying, go wash. You know, go, and, and are you going to believe that when I send you here, that when you wash, you're going to get your sight back? And he goes. He got what he needed. He went. And now what happens? The neighbors start coming in verse 8. The neighbors, therefore, who had previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. Therefore they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed. And I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Man. So they, they, the neighbors are confused. They can't see straight either. They think it's him. They don't think it's him. They, if, they, if it is him, how in the world did you get your eyes open? And if, it, and if it was Jesus, where's this guy? And this guy says, I don't know where he is. So what happens in verse 13? They bring him to the Pharisees. This guy who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. I don't think it's, I don't think it's for nothing that, that John reminds us. It's a Sabbath when he makes this clay and he opened his eyes. Again, therefore, the Pharisees also were asking him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes. I washed 
and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. They said, therefore, to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. He is a prophet. Man. So he can't see. The Pharisees can't see. I think for these Pharisees, they're, they're, they're at that creation stage. I can't explain everything about creation. And they, they, they're at this stage right here. I, I don't understand this. This does not line up with the God that I think I am serving. This, this does not make sense to me. So therefore, this, this can't be right. This violates the Sabbath. So therefore, this man must be a sinner. This violates everything I know about God. It's kind of like John 6 where we, we, we were in class this morning in John 6 when Jesus gets to the end of that chapter and the disciples that are going to leave are leaving because this does not line up with, with what I think Jesus should be saying. This doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't add up. I can't explain it and I can't understand it. Therefore, it's wrong. I can't explain it, can't understand it. The Pharisees are lost. They can't understand it because he's violating their rules of the Sabbath here. Because they are still blind to the fact that Jesus is doing exactly what God would want done. So Jesus must be a sinner. The whole mud and healing thing. And this blind guy must be a sinner too. In fact, 18 through 23. Look at 18 through 23. Well, actually, let me go back to um, 16. Uh, Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can this sinner, or how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? There's a division among them. So what do you say about him? He's a prophet. Verse 18, the Jews therefore did not believe it of him that he had been born blind. Again, they're still blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? We talked a little bit about these parents this morning too in class. And what do they do? They call the parents in Is this your son? Yep, he's my son. Was he born blind? Yep, he was born blind. How does he see? Ask him yourself. He's old enough. (laughs) Ask him yourself. Parents have just abandoned their son because they're afraid of being put out of the synagogue because this question that they know they have to answer, yes, he's been healed. And the only thing we know is that he told us Jesus did it. Parents answer them in verse 20. We know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but now how, now he, how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Yeah, you do. Ask him. He is of age. He shall speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Fear. They're, they're also blind. They're also blind in their own way. Pharisees are blind. His parents are blind. And verse 24, for the second time, they call a man back in who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. He therefore answered. Now, here's, here's another, that creation question of, I can't understand everything, but that doesn't mean I can't believe in something or someone. He therefore answered, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, 
Now I see. I've got, a, I've got a hard fact here that I do know. Is that man a sinner? I don't know. I know I was blind. I know I now see. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become disciples too, do you? I like this blind guy. <laughs> I like his attitude. And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were, not, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us? And they put him out. Amazing. I don't know everything. I do know that I was blind and I now see. I do know that fact. I don't have to understand everything to believe in someone. Look at verse 35. Jesus hears that they put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said to him, And who is he? Lord, that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. It's ironic that this blind guy who couldn't see for all these years is, is seen so much clearer than all of these people who have seen all their life. This man who is probably never seen anything before. Imagine that. Seeing everything for the first time. And this man sees more clearly than the Pharisees, the learned people of the law, and his parents, and any other Jew around there just, just saying, no, that's not the guy. Jesus really didn't do that. That didn't really happen. I don't have to know everything, but what I do know, I do believe. Verse 30, uh, well, I've got some, I've got a couple questions for you, and then I, I want to just share with you my observations as I went through that, that chapter. Because what, the big idea for me there was the, I don't know everything, but I know I was blind, and now I see. I can't explain everything, but I know God is real. Jesus is real. And I, and I believe that wholeheartedly. But I can't explain everything to you. God does ask us to go and wash things off our face. He says, do you believe that I can do that for you? If I do, he does it. If I don't believe, I don't wipe, wipe that stuff off my face. I don't get to see. So I want to I sum this up for you here. I was asked by somebody if there was going to be another road in this sermon because the last two sermons had roads in them. You know, the road to Emmaus and then Paul on the road to Damascus. They said, nope, there's not going to be a road in this. I'm sure they were on a road somewhere at, this, at some point in the story here, but uh, I don't know the name of the road. But 
What this does have in common with the last two is something else. Do you guys remember anything else that the last two had in common with this one? Saul was blinded. He lost his physical sight, but gained his spiritual sight. On the road to to Emmaus, you've got two disciples who are just downcast and and defeated, and they've lost their their sight, and they don't even recognize Jesus until the breaking of the bread, and then all of a sudden they get their sight back again. For me, there's been three sermons here with, with sight involved, seeing the real picture, seeing Jesus in reality. Here this man, this blind man, is seeing Jesus for the first time and is seen better than the Pharisees and his parents and everybody else. That, that's part of this, this, this lesson for me here, that this, this setup for God was a setback for him, but it really was a setup for God to work his, his glory and to, and to show his glory. We don't have to understand everything, but we do have to believe in someone. Let me read you a couple of things that I wrote down here. The man who was probably unseen in normal everyday life, the beggar on the side of the road, people stop seeing him. Jesus sees him. Even when Jesus is being chased by people wanting to stone him, he still sees him. The disciples don't see him. They don't see the real picture. So Jesus, I think, pushes the boundaries of everything that is acceptable there at that point. And he says, let me show you what you really should see. That God, who is who's rich in mercy and grace, wants to work through this man and give him that same thing that he talked about in Luke 4 when he says, this is what I've been anointed to do, to give sight to the blind, all those other things. I'm coming to show you who God really is. So Jesus pushes the boundaries of what's acceptable there on the Sabbath and gets himself in trouble again with the Pharisees. Just like on the, uh, the disciples on the road to Damascus who don't see him, They have those defeated eyes versus the victorious eyes that they have. Once they see him and they run back and tell everybody, Jesus is alive. He is born or he is risen again. Like Paul's physical eyes versus spiritual eyes. And even as I was going through this, I was thinking, even like Naaman back there in 2 Kings, who goes to get healed and then says, I expected the prophet to come out here and do something. That's what I saw happening. I saw a prophet coming out here and waving his hand and doing something magnificent. I saw better rivers back where I live. Why do I have to do what he's saying here? This is disgusting. This is not going the way I think it should go. My eyes see something different until his servant says, you need to change your eyesight here. You need to change the way you're looking at this. And Naaman says, okay. And what happens when he changes his eyesight? He's healed. It's just like Naaman there. It's, It's how we see things. Like all of these things... Our sight, we need to see Jesus clearly. Bill is talking about walking with Jesus in the the class this morning. We need to see him to walk with him. We need to have our eyes on him from victorious to spiritual because our eyes have been opened now and they see. We see a new way of life from the one who makes all things new. We see a new way of thinking, a new way of living. Not because we understand everything, but because we believe in him and we trust him. Because our eyes have been opened by Jesus Christ. My understanding of him doesn't rest on how much I can actually understand completely. My understanding rests on his word and having faith in him. But I want to ask you another question here too before I I give you a couple last verses to think of. What does it mean for you if I said, well, what does it mean for you to see Jesus clearly? 
in your life, when you see Jesus, what does that mean to you? I realize that's a new question, so let me maybe maybe you see him maybe seeing Jesus means I talk differently. I choose my words better because before I, I, I sounded like a sailor. Not to disparage any sailors if we have any former or current sailors in here. But that, you know, that old, uh, talking like a sailor, you know, salty. So I choose my words based on what I think Jesus, how I see Jesus, how I see him wanting me to speak. How I'd want to speak when I'm walking next to him. How I'd want him to hear me say things. You need to show the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. Okay, that gentleness, kind of all of that, that that's, you, that's how you see, when you see Jesus, you see this, this fruit of the Spirit being developed in you and coming out. Okay? Yes? It's like the, the setting up or setback. Is sometimes we look at them and, and they're setbacks, but there's, God is really setting us up and getting us, maturing us, helping us grow. Okay, that's, that's good. That, that's how you see Jesus. You see Jesus helping you overcome these obstacles and maturing in him and growing in him. Mm-hmm. That's usually the way God works, right? Yeah. 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 Craig? Okay, so seeing Jesus means you're looking for opportunities to, to be Christ-like to people or to, in anything you're doing. Waiting for, looking for the doors that he's opening. Okay, that's good. Anybody else? Yeah, having a new a, a Christ-like mind, okay, and 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 that holiness being set apart for His use, for His glory, for His use, being set apart. Not you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You are set apart for His use, being transformed, yeah, into His Son more and more. Okay, anybody? Yeah, Bill. I see Him coming out in you. Okay, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Okay. In you, in the people around you, in your brothers and sisters, and yes, and we sh- we should see Jesus in each other. 
We should see that because if we're walking with him, if his spirit is in us, then then what we say, what we do, how we act, it's going to look like Jesus will look. Anybody else? Mary. Learning and growing and becoming an imitator of Christ. Yeah, it's, it's growing more and more into the image of his son. It's being transformed into him. It's having the spirit work in us and through us and on us and Jesus working in us and all of that working together to mature us, to bring us to that fullness, that, that maturity of the faith. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the communication. When you see Jesus, you see a, a life of communication with your Father, with, with Jesus. A life of communication that, that doesn't just happen when we're in trouble. It happens on a, on a consistent communication basis that, like, like you always say, you know, well, like, what's that? Not being blind anymore. And sometimes it's easy to be blind even when we've seen. It's easy to be blinded by the world, easy to be blinded by things Easy to be blinded by, by what we think Jesus should be doing and God should be doing and, and not, not opening our, ourselves up to his possibilities. Because like the Pharisees say, I don't understand this. This, doesn't, this does not line up with, with the way God works here. Our Sabbath is this, 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 so this guy's got to be wrong. I can be that blind too sometimes. That doesn't line up with my thinking. I need, I need to be able, to, be able to, to have my thinking changed and to be open enough to be changed by him and not... Be consumed by what I think should be the right thing. Anybody else with any last thoughts about what you see? When you see Jesus, when you're talking about not being blind, what does it mean for you to see Jesus? Anybody else? Last chance, you'll never be able to say it again. Why does he work in us? He works in us because before in that chapter, he's talking about how Christ was humble enough to do all these things. And the, the, the humbleness of this, this Savior. And we have that same mind. Right. If we have that, that mind of that, that Savior, that humble man who came and died on a cross, we have that kind of mind that God's going to work in us and through it. He can't work in us. He can't work in a man who doesn't have that humble attitude. He can't work in a man who doesn't think he needs grace. He can't work in a man who doesn't think he needs saving, who has all the answers. He needs to work in a person who is humble enough to say, I don't understand everything, but I was blind, and now I see. And yeah, I believe in you. Help me with my unbelief, maybe. The last uh, verse I want to show you is in that same book. I'm going to change it up here. John chapter 12. Just another I thing. Trying to see Jesus better every day. John chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 20.
And it says, now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, what? What does your version say? We would like to see Jesus. Mine says, sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's, that's one of the, the things in the Puyallup pulpit when I preached there. They had a little plaque. I think I've told you that before that said, we, sir, we wish to see Jesus, that verse. Just to remind you when you're up there, it's not, it's not you. It's Jesus that we're here about. It's, it's, that's who we should look like. It's not about how good or how bad or how awesome of a preacher I am, because I know I, I am awesome. But it's really not about how good I am. It's, it's like Paul saying in 1 Corinthians. It's not, it's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Peter. It's not about this. It's about Christ. He's the one that you were immersed into. Not any of these guys. It's Christ. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. When we have these, these, these eyes for Jesus, when we've been blind, but now we see, what do we live like? We live like you've already said. We live with these open spiritual eyes, these open spiritual victorious eyes, who see things differently because we've been saved by the one who gives sight to the blind. We see like Jesus. And maybe, maybe you'll actually find a blind person in this week. And I'm not talking physically blind, I'm talking spiritually blind. Maybe you'll run into a spiritually blind person this week. But even if you don't run into a spiritually blind person, living like Jesus with these open eyes just requires us, or is just, just saying, I, I go through my everyday activities like this. I go through my everyday activities looking at things like Jesus would look at them. Thinking about things like Jesus would think about them. Because my eyes have been open. And that was one of the things as Bill was wrapping up the class I was writing down some notes because, as it happens so often in, in classes, especially with sermons, I'm always thinking right up to the last second, and Bill has some good Jesus classes here, which caused me to think right up to the last second. So I scribbled something down here, seeing like Jesus, following him. But Bill made a, an interesting point about following him. Instead of just following him, we're walking with him, side by side with him. And that brought me to the, to the idea of the Holy Spirit, which is where we were at too, the Holy Spirit. And that, that word, the paracletes, means the alongside one. That's literally what that means. That means that the Spirit that Jesus, that God has sent to be with us, it's not out in front of us, it's not behind us, He's right next to us. That's, that's what in Romans 8.28, when it talks about praying and the Spirit helping you in the prayer... The way it's, way it's phrased there means that that's, that spirit is on one side lifting and you're on the other side lifting. It's, it's, it's this effort together, working together. The spirit communicates to God what we can't communicate. And it, it, that's this, this idea of seeing, too, is that the spiritual eyesight is going to depend greatly on me being in concert with the spirit that he's given me and walking with him. Because he wants to walk with me. He wants to be alongside me. It's my choice, though, to see the way I should see. But he's walking alongside me. That I don't have any excuse not to see things the way he sees them, not to see life the way he sees them, not to address myself and, and talk like he talks. If we walk with him, if we see through his eyes, we can impact the world the way Jesus did, by just walking with him. Do you impact the world the way Jesus does, did, and does? Do you walk through life looking for opportunities, like Craig says? 
like Jesus looked here in John 9. There's an opportunity for God's glory. We need to walk around like people with open eyes. Spiritually open eyes. That see Jesus for who he is. And know we don't have the answers to every question and all questions. And I can't explain everything satisfactorily, satisfactorily to myself, nor to you. But I believe in him. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And just like that blind man says, where is he? And Jesus says, it's me. I believe. And he worshiped. Do that this week. Walk around with those open eyes that have been opened by Jesus Christ himself. And walking with that alongside one. Living a life that shows you really know this man who gives sight to the blind. And look for someone in this world to perhaps share that sight with. Do that this week as we stand and as we sing.